And if you ever feel like, you know, oh, I got to pull my money out when the market's down, that's really when you got to talk to a planner, really when you got to make sure you're on a plan and listening to some other unbiased outside advice that can keep you investing. Because if you get out, there's just no coming back from that. Think about it like you can invest perfectly for 29 out of 30 years and you make this one mistake just once and you can undo decades of progress. Welcome to Your Retirement Planning Simplified with your host, Joseph Curry, a CFP professional who is going to help you learn how to simplify your retirement planning. This podcast is all about helping you answer those burning questions you've had about your retirement possibilities and making a plan to get there. Through retirement planning education, resources, and expert interviews, Joe will help you get clear on your retirement vision, how to simplify it, and what you'll need specifically to achieve or maintain your financial freedom. Ready to live out your retirement dreams and create future opportunities for the ones you love? Then let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of Your Retirement Planning Simplified. I am your co-host, Joe Curry, and as always with me, Lindsay Wilson. How are you, Lindsay? I'm good, Joe. How are you? I'm good, thanks. We Recovered uh, from the IG Wealth Management Walk? Yeah, we definitely got our steps in. It was actually fun because we got the team out. We got some of the kids and everything from the whole team. So it was fun to get everybody together to raise awareness for a great cause. So yeah, we were out there raising money and awareness for Alzheimer's and dementia, specifically for funds in the Peterborough Quartha area. But it was a lot of fun. It was a nice day. Felt a little it bit was like summer. Lovely. Yeah, I think it was a great start to summer, actually. Absolutely. And to get a little exercise never hurts either. No, for sure not. I think you uh, even challenged our operations manager, Bev, her son, Dom, you challenged him to a race and you were carrying your son, Lou, around the track. Yeah, I was doing okay in the race until I had to pick up Lou and throw him over my shoulders in the last half a lap. I think Dom got me. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe this is something we could talk about, but I don't usually put out book recommendations, but I recently read the book by Dr. Pierre Atia, I Live, and it was an awesome book. And the reason I bring that up right now is because he talks a lot about basically preventing Alzheimer's and dementia. So there's some, maybe I would throw that out there because I found it really interesting with a lot of really good info. Someone has done a lot of research on longevity, which is not just about living long, but living well. Absolutely, of course. With all that, let's talk about our episode today. We had Freeman Lindy on the episode. Freeman was talking about the four horsemen of investing. So he's talking about chasing returns, poor diversification, market timing, and panic. Things we see a lot of, hear a lot about, and he had a lot of really good insights here today. Mm -hmm. I think if I could use the phrase a meeting of the minds, I think he really is similar to our philosophy about following the science of investing, diversifying globally, not timing the markets, not speculating, and staying disciplined and ignoring the noise. I think he's really on a true meeting of the minds with us too. I just wanted to introduce Freeman Lindy, a certified financial planner. He is the co-founder of La Crosse Financial Planning in Wisconsin, obviously in the United States. And he specializes in working with clients to retire successfully and stay successfully retired. He's also the author of 3D Retirement Income, Creating Retirement Income That Outpaces Inflation, Outlives You, and Outperforms Others. And he's also the host of Retire Mentorship Podcast, which you appeared on, Joe. That's right. Yeah, Freeman and I were on each other's podcasts now after this episode goes out, which was a lot of fun. We share a lot of similar planning techniques, I guess you could say, similar philosophies. So it was nice to uh, catch up with Freeman and hear what he had to say on The Four Horsemen. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, so let's dive in. 
Freeman Lindy. Welcome to the show. How are you today? Good, Joe. I'm happy to be here. Excited to chat with you today and going back and forth a little bit. Sounds like we're really aligned on a lot of things. So it should be a good conversation. Yeah, well, I'm excited to have you on because sometimes in this space, as you know, you can feel like you're in a little bit of a bubble, I guess you could say, right? There's, I mean, there's a lot of different financial planners out there, but not all of them share a similar philosophy and are trying to do planning the way you and I are. So when you kind of run across someone else with a similar philosophy, to planning the same way and similar focus, it's nice to have a conversation. Yep, yep. I always like to tell people, people like you and I, we're rare, right? There's a lot more of other people out there, but we're not unique. I'm not the only person doing it this way. There's a lot of really good planners out there doing it the right way. And we're all happy to support each other because we know we can't possibly work with everyone ourselves. And so it's good to build that network of people doing it the right way. Yeah, absolutely. And it's another reason why we do the podcast too. We can't work with everybody, but it's a good way to get good information. So a lot of people will remember probably me. Yep. So for today, the topic we have is the four horsemen. So you're going to talk to us about what the four horsemen are from a high level, behavioral mistakes that destroy our investments is really the topic. So maybe we'll just dive in. So the first horseman, chasing returns. Tell us about the first horseman. Yeah. And a lot of times when we're talking about investing, we're always talking about returns, right? And like, yeah, you know, what kind of returns are we getting in each year or each quarter or heaven forbid every day or like over a long period of time, you know, hey, what are the returns that the markets are getting and all that? And I think a lot of times we fail to recognize that the returns that investors get are often quite a bit different than the returns that investments get. So it's easy to track, right? Like what does the S&P 500 do or the Dow Jones or, you know, certain other indices? You can go back and say like, hey, what are these stocks done over this period of time. And that's easy to find out. But some other companies have done this research that shows that the actual investors that invest in these funds don't do as well. And so there's one company in particular, Dalbar, that studies all kinds of metrics to kind of see, hey, what is the average investor actually getting when they invest in these returns? And so one of the studies that I use quite a bit show that from this 30-year period, right, the S&P 500, it's up and down all over the place in the middle, but it averaged 10%. But that the average investor investing in the S&P 500 only averaged 5%. So like that's a big difference, right? And you think, oh man, that means they got half as much money over that time. But that's not really how compounding works, as you know, right? So for example, like if you had had $100,000 invested at the beginning of that period, at 5%, you would have grown 100% to $600,000, or maybe it 6%, something in there. You go from 100,000 to 600,000, which is pretty good. But at 10%, that same 100,000 would have grown to 2 million. So even though the markets grew to $2 million, the investor only grew to 600000 So that's a big gap there. And so one of the things that we're seeing do is like, hey, what explains this gap? Why are the returns that we're getting as investors so much worse than what the general market is doing? And so we kind of distilled these into, into what we call the four horsemen and four different things that just destroy our returns. And the first one that you mentioned already is chasing returns. And basically what it is, is it's always trying to be in a fund or an investment that's doing better. And so you're constantly moving your investments around, jumping from one fund to another, from one company to another, trying to get the best returns. And I think one good way to think about this is probably all of us, anyone listening to this has probably been stuck in traffic at one point or another. Like you're stuck in traffic on the 401, you know, nothing's moving, it's kind of gridlocked, you're in the left lane, and then you start noticing you know, that cars are starting to pass you on the right lane. And you're like, ah, what the heck, I'm trying to get there faster. And so you move from the left lane into the right lane so you can get there a little bit quicker. But you know that as soon as you do that, right, that lane's going to slow up and the lane you were just in starts taking off, right? I don't know if that's ever happened to you. It happens to me all the time. Absolutely. <laughs> I never learned. And you start tracking, like, I started behind that bus. As long as I get ahead of that bus, then I'm good to go. And you keep moving back and forth. And eventually that bus is just way out there in front. 
and you lost it. And you realize by the end, you would have gotten gone further faster if you just stayed in one lane than constantly trying to jump lanes to try to, you know, eke out a little bit more speed. And so I think in the same way, like we'll look at our investments, what's happening there. And we'll say, hey, you know, these other options I have, they seem to be doing better than the ones I'm in. And so you jump to those new investments only for them to slow down and the ones you were just in to surge ahead. And so by constantly chasing returns, constantly trying to get the best return possible, you end up with less return overall for all your efforts and all your headaches. I don't know if you've seen that at all, Joe, or you've run across people that have done that, but it seems to be something that I see all the time. Yeah, it's super common, especially when we go through periods like we just went through 2022, right? It's a you know, difficult year, no matter where you were, stocks or bonds. And people think that, yeah, we got to, okay, well, what is working? Something must be working. We should be jumping to that. I can't remember who I heard this from, but they talked about soccer goalies for penalty kicks. And the stats actually show that the goalie just stood in the middle of the net. They would save a higher percentage of the penalty kicks than when they guess and they jump sideways. That's good. Trying to see where they're going. But none of them ever do that because it looks like they're not trying, right? Yeah. And what I find is, you know, a lot of our clients who are really successful, they're really hard workers, right? And when things got tough, they found a way to make more money, make things work by working harder. So it's just natural for people to think, well, when times are getting tough with their investments, we should be working harder. We should be doing something else to get us further ahead. But the problem is that's like the exact wrong thing to do in most cases. So yeah, no, it's something I definitely see all the time, especially when things are a little tougher than average. Yeah. Often the hardest thing to do is to do nothing. And that's often the very right thing that we should do. And that's tough to do. And so we feel better doing something, chasing something than sitting there and just stay in the course, which is tough to do. Yeah. Definitely makes us feel good to take action for sure. Yeah. yeah. All right. So the second horseman is poor diversification. Yep. So you've probably seen this, I'm sure. You have people coming over with either portfolios they've built, or maybe they're coming from another financial services representative or something. But you kind of see this in two different forms. We kind of think of this horseman, he's got twin swords. And the first one is under diversification, right? Which is all your eggs in one basket. And maybe it's someone works for a company and they have a bunch of their company stock and it started small, but it's kind of grown to a big portion of their overall portfolio. Or maybe they kind of got lucky and they got in on Amazon or Apple early on or some of these other companies. It started off as a small portion, but now it's a big chunk of their portfolio and they just can't see giving it up, right? It's, oh, it's done so well for me. It's kicked the pants off of anything else. I want to keep it. You know, Nick Murray is a legendary financial advisor in his own right. He's like 80 now, but he often says that, you know, diversification means that you never hold enough of anything to make a killing on it, but you also never hold enough of anything to be killed by it. So that's often what will happen is we'll hold on to this great stock or this great fund or anything for a long time. And then eventually it, it falls off or eventually it crashes and we're still holding on to that when that happens. And so what we always got to ask ourselves is if you have what we call an in industry, right, a highly concentrated position, like a whole bunch of your money in one fund or one company, just the question we always got to ask ourselves is, hey, if this went to zero, if this crashed, would we be okay or would we still be able to reach all of our goals? And if the answer is, well, we all of our goals would be ruined, our portfolio would be ruined, like we would be set back years and years, then you own too much of that one fund or that one stock and it's time to spread that money out. And so that's the first form. And you've probably seen that quite a bit of people really just trying to hold on to one thing too much. And the problem is, is like, you can say, well, it's never happened before. It's always treated me good. I've never had a problem with it. And under diversification is not dangerous at all until it's outright lethal. And you'll know that happens and it'll be too late at that point. And so as much as it might hurt, we got to be proactive with some of these things and spread that out. And all of us advisors, we're always champion diversification. So that's one that I think that we see quite a bit and something we're always uh, wrapping on people to get diversified. 
Yeah. And one of the things I always tell people, especially with like the company stock that's been building up over their career, is to just try to take an objective step back and think, if I didn't work for this company and I didn't have this stock right now and I had a million dollars, would I take my money and put it into this company? Does that make sense when you kind of take it from that outside perspective, right? Mm. It's really hard when you've been working for a company, you see it do well. Yep. I mean, there's research that shows, I think it's like 4% of the companies the, in the S&P 500 are responsible for like all of the returns above inflation. Yeah, I can't remember what the time period is on that, but like it was like a 50 or 100 year time period. So it's very unlikely that that company stock you own is going to be one of those part of that 4%. In the long run for your retirement. It's really important to make those decisions to diversify, but not always easy. Yep. That's one of them. That's one that we kind of think of the most when we think of diversification. But there's also the other sword that this horseman wields is over diversification. You know, I'll see this a lot where someone will come in with a portfolio constructed by somebody and they've got like 40 different funds. And it just seems like, oh yeah, I'm super diversified. I've got all these different funds and I've got a large cap and a growth and a blue chip fund and all these things. But you look under the hood of all these different funds and the companies, you know, the businesses that make up those funds are almost identical under the surface, right? And so you'll look at, they've got four different funds and the top five holdings of all funds are exactly the same and make up most of those funds. And so we call it pseudo diversification, right? You feel like you're spread out. You feel like you've got a lot going because you've got so many different funds, but really you're just invested in the same companies split up in a whole bunch of different ways. And I think what that does, well, A, it has no benefit. And B, it has a lot of cons, right? You know, a lot of times it can increase fees because you're paying more for one fund with the same companies in it than you may be paying for another, you know, identical company is just a cheaper fee. So it's got a lot of fees, more redundancies. And then I think too, if we take a chapter from like the health and wellness field, if you're trying to lose weight or get healthy, like what's the best diet you can follow? You know, is it keto? Is it the whole 30? Is it, there's so many diets out there, right? And what people often say that know is, well, the best diet is the one you actually follow. And so you have people that have had results with all these diets and people who haven't. And the real differentiator is, can you actually follow it? In the same way, like if we want really good returns investing for decades, right? Not just years, then we need to follow an investing plan for decades. And the easiest one to follow is gonna be the one you actually understand. And so if you don't understand why you've got 40 different funds, you're probably not as likely to stay committed to that investment strategy as you are if you actually understand that the strategy that you're in. And so we see that a lot with over diversification as well. And either one of those under or over can set you up to fail when it comes to the behavioral side of investing. Yeah. In Canada, I would say that's a really big issue. I see so many portfolios that have exactly what you're talking about. But the thing is in Canada, we have a home bias. We have a lot of Canadian, like a lot of these portfolios, I see have a ton of Canadian funds. The difference between, at least in the US, I mean, there's so many different companies, a lot of them are, you know, global. But in Canada, we have, you know, basically two sectors. We have like energy and banking. So I could see a client or a potential client come in with a portfolio that has, let's say it's 10 different funds, but they've got the RBC Canadian Dividend Fund and the Scotia Dividend Fund. And then they have the Canadian large cap funds. <laughs> and then they have, you know, all these different funds. So there's some over diversification in the sense that they have all these funds they don't need, but they're actually under diversified because they have a portfolio that's 80% Canadian. Yep. And we're about 3% of the total stock market by value. So it's this mirage of diversification, but it's not even there at all. Well, that's so interesting too. You're actually getting killed by both swords at the same time. You're both over diversified and under diversified, which you wouldn't think would be possible, but there you go. So, yeah, exactly. And the other thing I see on that is 
sometimes when we have a globally diversified portfolio, so, you know, we look a lot like the index is really, so sometimes we'll see clients are like, I don't know if I'm diversified enough. Like we only have, you know, like a few holdings here. Like I try to explain, you know, well, there's, you know, about 12,000 different companies here. Yeah. We're very diversified. We don't need to have 40 holdings to get diversified. But there's that feeling like maybe we should buy something else. But, and then all of a sudden, all we would be doing is creating that issue. You just talked about an over-diversification. For sure. So the third horseman is market timing. Yeah. So this one's a big one. This is right attempting to be in the market only when it's going up and to be out of the market before it goes down, right? And this is something that like, whenever you look at a stock market chart over a long period of time, right, on these indexes or whatever, it seems like that it's possible. Like you see these big upticks of it going up and then these catastrophic crashes and you're like, man, shouldn't it be possible to kind of get in? And then as it's gone up high enough to get out, you know, go to cash and wait for the crash and then get back in at the bottom, you know, sell high and buy low. And and this is different than trading, right? Like day trading or, or weekly trading where people are buying and selling different companies to try to take advantages of individual company, you know, ups and downs. This is more trying to time whole market cycles to be in during the bull markets and get out before a bear. And the problem with this is, and you probably talked to your clients about this, right? Like if you're trying to do that, you have to be right twice, right? When you get out and when you get back in. And so like we talked about this in the book and I use some graphs in there of a couple of different case studies where someone were invested in 2009 during the big financial crisis, right? And it'd come back up and it was 2015. They're like, man, it's been going up for years now. It's at an all time high. Like we've got this contentious US, you know, 2016 election coming up. Like we don't know what's going to happen. You know, I think that the market's going to crash and so I'm going to get out. So it gets out of the market in 2015. The election is contentious. It causes some volatility, but it doesn't quite crash. But he's determined to get in on a crash. And so he holds on and he holds on and he holds on. And then finally, the COVID crash happens, you know, down whatever it was, 35% in 33 days or whatever it was, right? And he gets in like perfectly in the bottom of the COVID crash. And so he did it, right? He sold when the market was high. And he bought in when the market was low. And he like perfectly timed the market cycle, right? Except that the market got up so high between 2016 and 2020, that even when it crashed, it was still 56% higher than when he had got out in 2015. So even though he got in at the right time, he got out at the wrong time, right? Or maybe you had someone that invested all the way through. And then in January of 2020, just like heard rumors of the COVID crash, like just thought like, oh man, this has got to upset things. And so it gets out February, January of 2020, and then the market crashes. And he's like, ah, perfect. I perfectly timed this, like got out at the peak you know, and then the market went down, he's feeling good about himself. But, you know, then it starts coming up and it's coming up and it passes this all time high. And he's like, oh, man, like, this is weird. Like, this shouldn't be happening. Like, I don't want to get back in right now because it's still scary. And for it's going to be a W recovery, right? And it's going to go back down. So I'll just wait for the other shoe to drop and I'll wait for that second crash. And then I'll get back in and it never happens. And, you know, I wrote the book in spring of 2022, right after the market kind of peaked at the end of 2021 there. And so, you know, the market at that point, it just continued to go up. And obviously we know 2022 kind of came back down a little bit, but even then at its lowest point in 2022, it hadn't come back down to that peak before the COVID crash. And so people who did that are still waiting to get back in and the market's up substantially from that point. And so if you miss either of those, getting in or getting out, like you can leave tons and tons of return on the table and it could cost you, you know, tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so for most people, you're better off just staying invested, weathering the storms and not trying to time out those cycles. Yeah, that decision about getting back in is probably the hardest decision. I mean, if you think of back to 2020, when the market's down 35%, when it started coming back up, not a whole lot had changed, right? There's some, uh, you know, we know some government funding coming in, but 
there's still lockdown, especially in Canada. We were like right lockdown. Yep. There's no vaccine yet. There was no talk about a vaccine, just that people are working on it. But I mean, I don't think an announcement came out from Pfizer for like November, but the market had recovered by May. So people are just sitting waiting. Well, no, it feels too uncertain. Like the market you know, can't come back because there's just too many unknowns. And like you say, well, I mean, we know what happened since then. So yeah, it is not an easy decision to make. No, there's always going to be another crisis looming, right? Always another thing. It's a catastrophe that's right around the corner that's going to want us to not get back in. And so either we need to have that mental fortitude to stay invested through the ups and downs, or you're just never going to want to get back in. Yeah. And two, I think there's a quote by was Peter Lynch, I think, who's a legendary investment advisor here in the U.S., who said that you know more money has been lost in preparing for or anticipating market corrections than has been lost in the corrections themselves. Then more people have given up more of their lifetime savings, more of their retirement savings, just assuming that a crash is going to happen or waiting for the other shoe to drop or whatever else than anyone has ever lost in the actual downturns themselves. So the third horseman, man, especially over a few decades, like most people have been caught trying to do this at least once. And I feel like a lot of the people, a lot of the clients that I've had or talked to that stopped doing this are the ones that tried it a few times, were wrong several times. They're like, you know what, whatever, I'll just let you, uh, you tell me if I should get out or not. And I'll just do that. So. Yeah, actually, one of the last clients uh, that we just had in for discovery meeting, they <laughs> said, look, I'm here because I've tried too many times and it's not working. <laughs> yep. All right. So on to the fourth and final horseman. Panic. Yep. So this is the big one, right? And often panic is kind of preceded by siren song, which is euphoria, right? Which is that we get excited about the market when we see it going up. Right? And you get maybe the decade of post-financial crisis through up to COVID, you know, and the market's just, I think it averaged like 17% a year for like a decade, right? Just like kept going up and up and up. Or maybe there's a new fad, you know, that was dot-com back in the early 2000s or Bitcoin or whatever it is, right? And, you know, either want to get on the ground floor of something that's great or the market's been going up for a long time. And so it's finally time to get in and get some of that return. And, you know, it's been summer for a really long time. And so some people that sit on the sidelines for most of their investing career will wait until the market's been doing really, really well before they'll finally get in and say, hey, I want a piece of this pie. And often that'll be right before the market then corrects and goes down. So you know when that happens, right, you and I know that market corrections are as common as dirt. It happened one out of five years on average. It's just part of the volatility, the downturns. That's how we earn our superior returns over decades, right? So we know this happens all the time, but it's different when it's your money and you see your life savings that you've worked decades to accumulate decrease by 20, 30, 40%, maybe even 50%. And for some people, it's just too much. And they think, hey, you know what? I got to stop the bleeding here. You know, better to have some and maintain some than to see it all go to zero. And so they panic. They pull out of the market when it's down and they're still out when it comes back, right? And then at some point, they got to either hopefully wait that it comes back down again or jump back in when it's much higher than when they got back out. And if you fall to this one, right, if you panic out when the market's low and you miss that recovery, there's no coming back from that, Yeah. right? Like we're never going to see 2008, 2009 global financial crisis lows ever again. Probably we'll never see COVID crash prices ever again. That ship has sailed. And so if you got out at the bottom of COVID, you may never recover from that. And so this one, especially like it probably happens the least often, but it's the most devastating when it happens. So this is one that you got to avoid at all costs. And if you ever feel like, you know, oh, I, I got to pull my money out when the market's down, that's really when you got to talk to a planner, really when you got to make sure you're on a plan and listening to some other unbiased outside advice that can keep you investing. Because if you get out, there's just no coming back from that. Yeah, that's something you mentioned Nick Murray earlier. Nick Murray, you know, talks about if your advisor can keep you from making that big mistake just one time, that will pay for all the fees you ever paid for the rest of your lifetime. 
Yep. Not to mention all the additional value that they're providing over that time as well. So it's one of those things that like these other ones, they're going to chip away at your returns over time. And I don't really think, you know, when it comes to chasing returns or over or under diversification or market timing, you know, some of these things are what they can really sort of reduce the returns over time. But if you panic out, that's just going to destroy it. Right. And you think about it like you can invest perfectly for 29 out of 30 years. Yeah. And you make this one mistake just once and you can undo decades of progress. And so this one, it absolutely must be avoided. And so that's part of a lot of what we do. And, and I think probably advisors like planners like you and some other communities, a lot of what we do, obviously, we have a lot of technical knowledge. We're helping on that. We're helping you optimize your portfolio, save taxes, prepare for retirement, all these other things. But a big part, I'm convinced of our job is just helping you have a better perspective on what's really going on, right? Not succumbing to all the, if it bleeds, it leads and all the scare and fear tactics of the media and all that, and just keeping you on course so that you never make this mistake. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, Freeman. But listen, it's been a blast having you on here. I think our listeners get a lot of good information and hopefully you can help them avoid the four horsemen in the future. But before I let you go, can you just tell our listeners a little bit about where they can find you and what you've got going on? Yeah, so my main kind of educational content is retirementorship.com. My podcast is on there, some other resources that we use. And all of that's just, again, focused on you know increasing your knowledge about finances, deepening your belief in financial planning and having a plan and sticking with it and inspiring you to act on that plan and actually get done the things that you need to do. And so it's not boring market commentary. It's also not that technical, most of it. It's a lot more just behavioral or, or inspirational type content. And so that's kind of a lot of our focus on there. And so that's probably the best place to find me, retirementorship.com. Perfect. And that's what I think our listeners are looking for. That's why they're on this podcast. So appreciate you sharing that. And again, appreciate you coming on here today, Freeman. Thank you. Yeah, Joe, it was great talking to you. Thanks a lot. Take care. Investment services are provided through Matthews & Associates Investments of Aligned Capital Partners Incorporated and approved trade name of Aligned Capital Partners Inc. ACPI. Only investment-related products and services are offered through ACPI slash Matthews & Associates Investments of ACPI and covered by the Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Tax planning, financial planning, and insurance services are provided through Matthews & Associates. Matthews & Associates is an independent company separate and distinct from ACPI slash Matthews & Associates Investments of ACPI. Matthews & Associates are not licensed tax professionals, and you should consult with your tax advisor before acting on any recommendations. Thank you for joining us for this latest episode of Your Retirement Planning Simplified. If you'd like to see how prepared you are for retirement, we've created a free retirement readiness calculator to help you out go to matthewsandassociates.ca forward slash ready to input your retirement information and receive instant feedback to help you evaluate your current retirement readiness. Be sure to tune back in for the next episode. And until then, we're here to help you simplify and succeed in your retirement planning.